Hey yo, welcome to Beyond the Mat, where it's all about the things and stuff. It's like this and like that, sitting in a lotus seat. We breathe deep from our heads to our feet till we feel inner heat. A little bit of rhythm for your soul. Stretching out your minds from your head to your toes. We in our flow state, we don't know no hate. We end up feeling great though, so we correlate. Coil snake gonna rise sunshine. We take our time to appreciate divine grace. It takes place in a pace in the inner states. From a country road down to the interstate. We contemplate this, we here to make this. We here to break this, but we never fake this. We never hate kids, we in the love vibe. Me and my whole tribe, we gonna try to be fly with the sunshine. Hello, all you beautiful people. Welcome to Beyond the Mat, a little show about Hmm, everything, it would seem, this week. Ooh, this show is brought to you by me again. I have this great little art project on my website, jcoleyoga.ca, and it's all on sale, 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 until further notice. That's right, each print can now be yours for the low, 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 low price of $25. And... The links should be up by the time this airs. Secondly, my book. I wrote a book. I wrote a book, 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 book. And I want you to buy this book. Why? Just because. No reason. I mean, I'm telling you it's good. So what more do you need? Oh, you need to know something about the book. Well, <laughs> on today's show, I will for the first time in public, discuss this book. And if you like what you hear, you can head on over to www.jcoleyoga.ca to buy an ebook copy, or you can pre-order a printed copy. That's pre-order, printed copy. As you can tell, I'm highly focused on books right now. And so it only makes sense that my next guest would be an author. This sweet lady has seven books under her belt, published. Most recently, she wrote the Bringing Jamie Home trilogy, and you can find them all on Amazon by searching for this wonderful person who is here today to talk about some of the challenges of book publishing, the steps involved, knowing when your book is finished, finding an editor, publishing companies, your book cover, and much, much more. So please, a warm welcome for this kind-hearted lady who took her time out today to share this with you, ladies and gentlemen, Cheryl Riley. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. It is called Beyond the Mat, as uh, yoga is a big part of my life. I'm a certified yoga instructor, and this is all the things that happen beyond the yoga mat, which is kind of, you know, everything in life. And um, Oh, well, thank, thank you very much for inviting me to be on your podcast. Oh, well, thank you for being here. It's, it's great. Um, and the reason I invited you, because you are a published author and it's something i'm really interested in as i just finished writing a book myself and so yes i love that uh the the first thing i did was you know hop on social media and be like hey i wrote a book now what do i do and i immediately got bombarded by people with these like self-publish 
uh, formats. I guess there's there's hundreds of them out there now. They they call it a. Oh, are you thinking of people who were saying they would publish your book for you? Well, I guess I just didn't know what the next steps were at all, and so I I just kind of put that out there on social media. Hey, I wrote a book. Now what do I do? And everyone who approached was somebody trying to get me into uh, a business that is essentially a print shop who self-publishes books for people. You know, Jay, um, I think you can probably do it all by yourself, and this is what I would recommend. Um, it's going to cost you a lot less, and if you can just pick up pointers and tips from um, fiction and non-fiction writers, then I think you can do a lot for yourself and you don't have to go down that other route. But I know they'll tell you all the advantages of what they can offer you. I think you'll probably get more dollar value if you've got the time to do it yourself. Right. And um, so I'll, I'll kind of, geez. So the title of my book, it has a curse word in it. <laughs> it's called uh -huh. it has called how to calm the f down and it's a uh -huh. meditation guide i started out by writing a meditation workshop because i have been approached by so many people who wanted to learn how to meditate and i thought i'll make a workshop i can gather people together in my community and we'll do a little thing that fell flat on its face i think maybe three people showed up after being asked by, you know, hundreds of people to do this and then no one showed up and I thought, hmm, okay, I'm going to repackage this into a book. So I took, it was literally a PowerPoint presentation and I had copied all of the slides over, the, the dialogue from the slides for myself, and then I kind of rehashed that into a book. And then even still, I was like, hmm, there's something missing. Like, there's, it's just another meditation book. There's thousands of them out there. What makes mine so special? Why does this stand out? And I realized it doesn't have a demographic that it's aimed at. It doesn't have a target market. And so I was walking through the city one day past a construction site when I heard two guys freaking out and hammers were flying and tools were going and all the cuss words in, in the book were being thrown at each other and everyone was standing around watching and, and I could just really feel, it's like these people out of everybody in the world need meditation the most. And that's when it yeah. hit me. So I went home and I started my third rewrite of the book, this time aiming it at contractors, construction workers, uh, anybody in the trades, anybody who does a lot of physical hard labor. Um, so that's why I kind of threw in a lot of swear words, a lot of cuss words to try and, you know, reach people on their level because yeah. these are, these are like, uh, people who are working 12, 13 hour days, they're not going home at the end of the day going, hmm, gee, I think I need to learn how to meditate. Let me just go online to this one website and I'll know exactly where to go. And so I guess the thing that I was looking for with publishing was more of a marketing campaign because the publishing itself, that's not really the hard part. The hard part is reaching all of these people. And, um, I guess that's where it comes in, like what you just said, where I should kind of do it all on my own. And so my idea was that if I could get maybe anywhere from 50 to 100 books printed, I could mail these out to construction companies where these bosses of these companies would probably read it. And then 
hopefully order some to give out or sell to their own employees. And that's kind of as far as I've thought with the whole thing. You know, in this is just something I'm just thinking up right now. In addition to mailing out, because sometimes I think that people who receive something in the mail uh, tend to look at it very quickly. Is there any way you could approach these people one-on-one -on -one and say, could I have 15, you know, well, five minutes, probably five minutes of your time and, you know, I noticed when I was walking by the construction site that a couple of your guys looked very, where they were really annoyed with each other. I've got a book here that I think just might be something that your guys might look at. And, yes, mail it out to people, but maybe around you could find places or get in touch with some companies. Just Possibly that might be another way of doing it so you actually get these guys saying, Maybe right. I could introduce it to my guys. Uh, maybe I could put it in the lunchroom or wherever they eat lunch. How does that strike you? That sounds good, too. And, I mean, that would work for a lot of local companies that I can get right. to myself. Yeah. But then outwards from here, I would want to reach a little wider than just my own community. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's always the thing is how you're going to get to your target audience. Right. And... Um, you know, just defining who are those people. Now, besides construction workers, um, I'm just thinking of other places. There are many, many others. You know, you might even think of um, talking to business owners, maybe just bringing it up with some friends. If you have some friends in that own businesses or shops or right. going to a nearby place and saying, There might be a need for this and how to get along using meditation so people don't get as annoyed with each other and how to draw from that source. Exactly. And I mean, that's kind of like, you know, what's on the, the jacket cover is this kind of dialogue. My It's like my elevator pitch, basically, is what I'm putting on, on the jacket yeah. cover on the back. And yeah, it definitely does help through yeah help people to calm down but not even only at work it'll be at home too it'll be in every part of their life um the good thing about at work is that it definitely will increase productivity and these are the kind of points that i like to make to the business owners that's a, that's an excellent selling point how to increase productivity <laughs> because i can't think of any boss who doesn't want that to happen well hey if their guys aren't throwing hammers at each other then they're probably doing their job so yeah yeah you're getting the job done closer to the deadline and maybe a little cheaper and everybody's happier exactly and i mean at the cost of a few books that they could cycle out maybe they'll only buy two or three that they hand out and then different employees will read it and some won't but they'll just kind of hand them around within their own company that kind of thing right and word of too. mouth from what i've heard is the strongest advertising you can get yes it is yes it is so no. So um, let's get back to you here. So uh, you have, I think, seven books already published on Amazon that I can see right here in front of me. And... Yes. Now, I, my, what I'm working on specifically now is the Bringing Jamie Home Trilogy 
and the first one in, in, in it is Jamie's Choice. And I decided to not try and go through traditional publishers, but to do it myself, because I know a lot of my friends had done that, and they were very happy with the results. Right. So there were so many things, you know, that you had to learn, um, like when, when was the book finished? Right. And that was something, you know, I recommend that people, after they finish the book, they just put it away for a while. And don't be in too big a rush. I know that always sounds easier, and you always think, oh, no, I'll have time to put it away for a while. But I think that really, really works. Right. So, like, after one book is done, it gives you that time to kind of, like, reflect back on what you've just heard or what you've just read about and experienced. Right. And, uh, I like when, to... I wrote, when I wrote Jamie's Choice, I actually wrote it consider, thinking that I was only going to write one contemporary novel. I wanted to see if I could write a contemporary romance. Now, this isn't that heavy on the romance, but um, it actually takes place from an incident I had happen at school, and that's how the story starts. The person is not at school. The person is not a school teacher in my story, but she had a dislike. She's got a dislike for the kid across the street, and the whole book works around how she resolves this dislike she has for the little boy across the street and how his feelings change towards her. So that was the first book I wrote. I thought that would be the end of it. hadn't planned on writing anymore. Right character who one reviewer said he's really a piece of work isn't he <laughs> he didn't like him at all and I didn't like him oh. and then I thought why was he such a nasty man his name was Walter and I thought Walter really isn't a bad guy but why is he behaving how he's behaving so I thought about it and I thought there's another reason well, what's that other reason and like they say, always come up with one reason. No, you think of another reason and another. And about by your seventh or eighth reason, that's the reason why Walter, in my book, uh, appeared to be a very nasty man when he wasn't really a bad man or a nasty person. He's really a good guy, but we didn't, in book one, understand the circumstances. Actually, I didn't understand the circumstances either, so what I had to do... I had to go back and rewrite book one in order to accommodate books two and three. Oh, wow. So, you know, um, I and actually had to take down book one from Amazon because it then changed considerably. Okay. But um, writing the trilogy was fun, and I like writing series because you can get so much more depth. Right, right. Um. A long time ago, I wrote a fantasy novel, and it, oh yeah, and I never even dreamed of having it published. It's just sitting here in like doc files on my laptop, and I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages, and I mean like full eight and a half, eleven pages, hundreds of them. I mean, I've got chapters saved, and I've got uh, different character. I just have like a whole like notepad file that's just characters and who are the characters in this book and a little blurb about them 
what they look like, some of their actions and feelings and things like that. And I mean, this is coming from absolutely no background in writing, no idea of how to do this. I just kind of invented my own way. And I would have like 10 to 15 different doc files open at the same time for reference. One of them was a vague storyline outline about, okay, these are the things that are going to happen in this book. For sure, this, 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 and this are going to happen. Now let's expand and elaborate on those. So then each expansion eventually are going to turn into chapters. Each chapter is going to cover a certain little one of the things that are happening. And by the end of it, it was over. The, uh, the, the climax was reached. The denouement happened and it was over. And so that's kind of like how I knew that it was done. But again, um, yeah. I was probably like 21 years old when I wrote this. And so it just kind of sat there and it's still sitting there in those doc files waiting for someday to find a home. And it's a fantasy novel. Essentially, the guy, the lead character, he switches back and forth from real reality into like fantasy world with dragons and things. So he might be fighting a dragon with a sword. And when he flashes back to our reality... He might have a garden rake and he's attacking a, a dump truck out in the middle of the street. So there's kind of like parallels as him being like maybe an insane person and maybe this is all made up. But then there's things that start to cross over so that the fantasy is starting to leak into the real world and they start to merge. And by the end of it, gets it all figured out. But uh, yeah, I, I never really thought about doing anything with that one. And depending on how you well... Know if you're interested in that one, Jake, uh, pull it out, read it, and just, you know, sort of, it'll, you'll be now fresh eyes on the story, so it should be actually very fascinating. And fantasy is really big now. What I, I'm not into fantasy, but what I'd recommend is if you can find a group that, um, like a writing group, Right. That maybe you could go to and listen to some information, or if you want to go online about once you've read your book and then learning maybe more about story structure, if you feel that's what you need, you know, or that, or if you know any people who are into the fantasy genre and they could maybe take a quick glance at your book. Right. I know you can send to editors. And some editors will do a quick look, but that's in several hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you know, um, that might not be something you want to do, but maybe if you've got a friend who reads fantasy, hmm. they could look at, give you some ideas. And probably looking back yourself, you'll get all kinds of ideas. Yeah. Hmm. Well, but, uh, like with myself... With a, I mean, I'm 39 years old now, and uh -huh. most of my life has been spent in a band doing hip hop music, and so when oh, I yeah. when I when I switched over from, I mean, living that rock star party lifestyle into becoming you know more grounded and more spiritual in yoga practices and meditation and all this. Um, I kind of alienated most of my network. I mean, the thousands and thousands of people I have in my in my network, they don't want anything to do with the things that I'm into now. And so, yeah, trying to like sell people on some of my new ideas is very challenging and very difficult. And so I've definitely 
only been looking for creating a new network. So to try and look back and maybe get friends involved in that, eh, it's kind of, that's not happening for me at this time anyways, until maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just looking at some of the questions that we have here. And I think we just kind of touched on the first one. How do you know when you're finished the book? So as you said, you kind of finished your first one and then did a rewrite so that it would uh, it would make the part two and part three make sense, which is really cool right, and interesting. Right, So that means that... And it was amazing. All the things I had to go back, actually it was a total rewrite of book one. Right. Uh, so it's much easier to think of writing three books at the beginning rather than just thinking you're writing one book. Um, but I had to go back and plant ideas in book one, mention certain people. So by the time they came up in later on in book two, they weren't a surprise character that I had just dropped into the middle of the story. Right. Yeah, see, that's something I had to do on that fantasy novel, too, was that at further into the book, I had these new ideas. I was like, well, what if there was another character who was like, who would help this guy out a little bit? How could I introduce them? And sometimes you'd find yourself going back three or four, five chapters back and trying to introduce a new character, which is it's chall- yeah. as challenging as well. Just for a minute, I'm going to try taking you off speaker. I'm getting some, let me just push a button here. Yeah. Now, how's the sound now? You're a little bit louder. Hello? Yeah, hi. You're, oh, oh. you're, you're a little oh, bit louder. Okay. Okay. Um, then I won't talk as loud. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. If you go back. Another interesting thing that happened to me when I was writing Jamie's Choice and I finished it, I got into um, a place where I didn't think I would be, and that was book two becomes a mystery. I didn't realize it would become a mystery, and I wanted my mystery, or the things that happened to the people in this story, I wanted it to be totally accurate for the place they lived, by, you know, by the law. Right. And um, I talked to various lawyers, and actually I was surprised because a lot of lawyers, like I had a list of 25 questions on what the police procedure would be in this thing, and uh, what lawyers would do in this case. And the lawyers, except for one lawyer who would answer three of the questions, none of the other lawyers were able to. And then I went to various people that I knew had been in the police services, and they'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, they could do that. Ah, sure, they could do that. And I still wasn't satisfied. And then I had a connection with an officer who I knew through somebody else, But believe it or not, they got so busy that I couldn't get in touch with them. And um, I didn't have a direct contact with them. I just knew who they were. But I knew that if I could get that person, that that would be correct advice. So a year later, I actually waited. Uh, The second book in the Bringing Jamie Home trilogy was written. And I was waiting to talk to this one person. Finally, they kind of remembered me. And we had a super two-hour discussion, and I got all my questions answered. So when I wrote book two, that was Jamie's Secret, Mm -hmm. I knew what I was writing was absolutely correct. And in some cases, a direct quote from the police person saying, that's what they would do. They would not allow this. They would allow that. 
And there was even one kind of joke in there that came from the police person. And, you know, I, it's, it's correct. So it gives me a really good feeling that I've got the correct information. Right. That in my book, in my case, called a bit, caused, you know, a year's wait, but I was ready to wait because I, barely went on and wrote another book, right. another genre. <laughs> so uh, I guess that definitely doing your research would instill confidence and that would help you oh, supercharge you know, your Jay, When you go and do research, you find new things. Now, um, so I did the Bringing Jamie Home trilogy. There was a lot of research for book two, which flowed over. I could use a lot of it in book three. And um, now I'm researching historical Victorian, Victorian time, but as it applies in the United States at the time. And you get ideas. It's amazing things that are limiting in the time. They just give you more story ideas. So doing research is really, really good. And you, you give descriptions with confidence. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually, as much as I shied away for initially from doing research, I have gotten so I really, really like it. And um, also, you get better at finding websites that are <laughs> what you need. Well, they they say to write what you know, I guess. And if if uh, if there's part of what you know that you don't know, <laughs> then you kind of have to find out that information. Oh yes. I mean, you yes. can't just can't and, just wing um, it. You know, like I say, I was. I was told that um, my voice suited a historical time, but I didn't want to touch that because of the research. But once once you kind of break through that barrier, it's good. And I'm writing a book. Well, you saw that up on the website, you saw the Lord of Darkness, right? Yes. That was the picture with the guy on the front? Yeah. Yeah. What I'm doing now is I'm combining that book with another book, and uh, the two will be put it together as one book, because the other book I'd written, which didn't show up on my website, was sort of the backstory. So I'm putting the backstory, it's as two books now. So that's been, you know, looking into the historical times and uh, making sure that I'm accurate. Hmm. But it becomes fun. You just have to not allow yourself to get carried away. Right. Yeah, out of all the books that I looked through of yours, that definitely jumped out at me, Lord of Darkness, as something that I would read just based on the title and the cover. And yes, yes, I'm just like, mm, that, I love that cover. And well, that's another interesting thing, Jay, is covers. Right. When you're looking for covers, and um, they tell you to go in, like if you're writing uh, historical, paranormal gothic go in on amazon and look at other covers and see like what colors they use right because there's certain cover colors like in the um bringing jamie home trilogy Mm -hmm. uh you get those light bright covers you've got the woman on the cover and the the purple the the purple yeah she's there's the pink print uh, the font is different. You've got that lovely sort of, you've just got a very lovely looking girl, and she, it's the same girl in all three pictures. Right. Um, but that has to look totally different 
from the paranormal historical one. Definitely. So that's one thing you want to look at other people's covers because you you want your reader to know what they're getting. Right. Yeah. Um, and with, with my book, I've been a graphic designer for close to 30 years now. Um, oh, that's great. And uh, no, maybe 25 years. Anyways, it's been a long time. Uh -huh. <laughs> and yeah, so I know a lot about the different psychological aspects that color plays on the subconscious. Um, there's different colors that invoke different feelings within people just by seeing them. And so I try right. to incorporate that a little bit into what I'm doing. But at the same time, because of who my demographic is with like contractors and all that, I have like a yellow hard hat, some plaid, some blue jeans and some work boot fabric kind of all melded into one one cover and then just a thick, solid white text for the book title on the top of everything. And then just my name. Yeah. Oh, I think that's name. smart. Really, really smart. But then with your background... You realize all these things. You're well ahead. Right. Yeah, I've seen ninety percent pro. I've, I've definitely seen some pretty poor looking covers that I've read and been like, "Oh wow!" Like if 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 it was up to the cover, I would have skipped over this. But because some books are re uh, recommended, I'll take the recommendation and read them, even though they have a terrible cover. <laughs> But yeah, the, the covers definitely would have made me skip over them. But then you read and you're like, oh, this is a great book. If only you had a better cover, you might have, might have done a little better with it. Um, so yeah, yeah a lot more people might have picked it up. Yeah, even just... I guess that's where word of mouth comes in. Word of mouth, yeah. And I mean, again, for me anyways, with the like a swear word on the cover, that's really shock factor. It's going to jump out at people and be like, oh, whoa, what's that? And I'll kind of skim through yeah. it. And again, um, and that's I, another way that you're targeting your audience. Right. But for a general audience, I've, I've read everywhere that that is not recommended. That actually works against you because if you try and have a book in a bookstore, they're not going to be able to put that out on the shelf. They're not going to be able to put it in certain areas where there could be just swearing like out in public like that. And uh, that can kind of work against you in that way. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. I know within the romance genre, there are certain things that they won't put in bookstores or, you know, Walmart, wherever. Mm. So you want to target your audience, but not throw off everybody else. Right. Okay, so um, we talked a little bit about finding an editor. And personally, I have a couple friends who are English teachers who are definitely going to read through some of my stuff and correct any little things that I have. Uh, I'm fairly good at grammar and English myself, so I'm not really too worried about that. I just hope that an, them acting as an editor would know enough some of the things that need editing from from the book. Um, so what are what are some of the other things that you would try and look for in an editor? Well, in an editor, um, if you're looking for an editor for um, a fiction book, I know there are several steps that an editor will go through, and this is what I did for the Jamie uh, trilogy. I had her go through on, she did a step one, which was an assessment, and she went through things, and this again applies to fiction, where she was looking at the concept. 
is your story original and intriguing? And if that actually implies or goes for nonfiction also, because, you know, it's such a hard market, right? Right. You want to get something that's going to hit your audience as a little different. Right. And then how in the fiction, how do you deal, how have you dealt with the plot? You know, is there a main storyline and a subplot and do they work together? And so she, in this step one assessment, she was also looking for characters, structure, point of view, pacing, hmm. and language. And then she sent me back a written report about, about the story and where I could change things. And this was kind of a broad, sweeping one. Okay. That was the first, first step in the assessment. Right. I got it back. Uh, what she said made sense to me. Then I made changes. We did have a phone call and actually clarified a few things uh, that I hadn't understood in her note. And then it went back to her. Now, again, this is for fiction. You then go into what's called a substantive editor. And that's when they go into theme. And, you know, are you missing? Do you have gaps? And, um, you know, theme on pacing. And it would apply the same in your books, too, with pacing. Right. You know, are you keeping your, your reader, so this guy who's having trouble at work with another person who works at the job, does he want to maybe keep reading your book to find out what he could do to help himself? Right. So pacing is important for all books. Right. And, um, I, I definitely, I definitely, uh, you know, on rereading it, I've reread it like a hundred times now. And each time you'll find little things every time something new pops out and you're like, oh, how did I miss that? The first hundred read throughs. And yeah, there's definitely little things like pacing, like you said, and I'll be like, okay, I've gotten way, I've gotten so far away from using regular everyday speech that regular people use and i've gotten off into some hippy dippy jargon about uh, sanskrit names of different gods and things i'm like wait a minute nobody's gonna know what any of this is and it's not intriguing to them so i'll have to go in and backspace all that out delete it try and figure out another way new analogies of describing things new metaphors uh a lot of allusions to building like a building, so there's a foundation, concrete, and then it, you go up from there. Uh, something about how meditation is like uh, yeah. using using tools. You're gonna have these tools to build this house, but then once you're done building the house, you don't need the tools anymore. You just live in the house, so you can kind of go yeah. in and wipe out some of the tools. You don't have to remember all of this forever. Um, yeah, just trying to really you know relate back to who the audience is being. Uh, marketed to. Oh, really, really important. And you know, when you're writing a nonfiction book, it, it kind of reminds me of when I go to a workshop and I'm going to listen to a speaker for an hour. And you think, okay, for an hour you should get a lot of information. But if you come away with one idea that you can use from that speaker, then that to me is successful. And if from your book, if your reader comes away with one or two ideas and they put that into practice, then your book, I think, is a big success for right. both you in the way you've presented your book 
and it's a successful for the reader too because he or she's changing something in their life right and i mean that's the point of this whole thing is that i wanted to reach more people than the three people showing up to a workshop i really wanted to share the knowledge that I've gained over the years of figuring out all this meditation stuff and how it's really helped me. I mean, I've also worked on these job sites myself and I've I've been through it all. I know I know what the pressures are like in there. I know what it's like uh carrying sheets of drywall drywall up four or five flights of stairs with another guy, you know, and and you're pushing and pulling and tugging and you're bumping things into the wall and everybody's angry and it's just this a lot of a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. And so, yeah, I really wanted to help people, and I really wanted to reach as many people as possible, too. Um, yeah. So what are, um, I guess, what are the steps once you've decided that your, your book is finished? So let's say it's all done, your editing is done, all this is, is ready to go. What, what is, like, the best way to just dive right in? to what it just to like dive right in once all the steps have been taken okay um first of all make sure you get an isbn number right um all books so uh that's another question i had separate um the isbn um i'm reading that let's say um so i was looking at using create space just to get a few books printed the ones that i could send out to people and then from there, if I could get enough pre-orders, then maybe we could shop it around to different publishers. But for, right. the, for the time being, uh, what I had read was that if I allow, uh, and CreateSpace is owned by Amazon, and if Amazon right. is allowed to put their own ISBN number on that book, they are forever uh, in are going to receive certain royalties from all of those books forever with that ISBN you know, and that I would need to change it if I was going to do another one. And then other people are saying, no, just buy your own ISBN right from the get-go. Okay. Uh, do not give Amazon the, the right to get your ISBN number. They'll take it. Now, are you coming from Canada or the States? I'm, I'm in Canada. Okay. Then, you know, you just go to the government of Canada. Just let me, I'm in Canada too. Hold on a minute here. I'm going to pull out my ISBN information. And, um, yeah, it's free in Canada. In the States, you pay something. Right. It's done through the government of Canada. Okay. So, just, I think you go in ISBN Canada or government of Canada, you know, ISBN. Okay. Oh, I'm seeing something here. It says home, ISBN. And what you do is um, you will get a bunch of numbers. Don't choose just one number. You you want to maybe say you're going to have 10 books. Right. That's because you may have a, an electronic book, a paperback, and a hard book. So reserve yourself at least 10 slots. Okay. And it'll all be like the number will be three digits, a zero, several digits, and then it may, might be something like 88 or, well, 8-8, 7-1, 2-3. And they'll be for your different books, be it electronic, right. hardback, or paperback. Okay. So taking 10, you know, take 10. Yeah. And um, also, 
That's your ISBN. So that's free and it's easy. They'll just ask you, they've got an application review in there, and they'll just ask you some very simple questions. Hmm. I would recommend, and in the States, if somebody's listening to this in the United States, people in the States have to pay for their ISBN number. But here, you just fill in a very simple application form. It just asks for the title of your book, the category, when it's going to be published, and, you know, you can be kind of vague on that yeah the owner and the author so that's a really good thing to get you get it you tell amazon another thing i would strongly recommend is that you set up your own publishing company and all you have to do is decide upon a name for yourself right you know it might mean something it might be an acronym that has special meaning for you only okay and that could be the name of your publishing company and no problem, it can be at your home address. So those are two things I would keep for yourself because um, then you've got them. Nobody else has ownership of it that way. Right. Okay. Um, so I guess we've talked about branding already. Um, getting the book formatted, I guess that's going to be uniquely particular to how it's coming out because I noticed that um so like for example with create space I was looking at like a nine by a nine by five or six by yeah nine by five book so it's only going to have a it's going to have less pages than if I were to get the four by six size book um and formatting is going to change based on like what size the book is basically right is that Right, and I have I've always paid actually somebody to do my formatting because I didn't want to bother to learn. I didn't have the time to learn how to format. But what they've told me, and I was at a workshop recently where the girl was saying she just went through and she actually showed the flap. She showed where the gutters were, and apparently you kind of lay your pages on top, and you can see where the margins are. You can see how much what they call bleeds space you need you can see how much you need at the top and the bottom and the gutters and apparently it's all laid out very very well because i've known people who've gone on on create space and done this yeah so they they actually have a template that you download and then you just copy and paste your book into the template and it's all just there formatted for you right paragraph by paragraph yes and another thing Think of what you're going to have at the beginning of your book. I don't know if you got this far, but, um, you know, if you want acknowledgement, you want your title page. Right. I'm just looking. Um, yeah, there was a few things title, like a dedication, yeah. who's is dedicated to. Right. Yeah, they had different options for that. And then you want a copyright page generally at the beginning. Right. I don't know if you'll want... And you're on that copyright page. That's when your ISBN shows up and right. publisher, and that would could be you. Okay. And you can give yourself a brand new name. <laughs> you know? I like it. I like it. And um, yeah. No. So I think it's keep your keep your ISBN. It's your ISBN. Nobody else gets it. And keep your publisher, and then you're free. It's your book. You know, you're free to do with it as you want. Right. And if you. You're not tied to any company, so I'd strongly recommend that. 
Also, another thing you need is back your back blurb. Right. Back cover copy. Right. And um, if you go on Amazon, they have the shorter blurb and the longer blurb. So be prepared to have sort of two different selling ways for your your book. Okay. You know, a short, iffy little thing, yeah. and then the longer blurb. If you look on any book, they usually have two, three, four paragraphs that describe the book. Right. Yeah, which again, like I said before, it's kind of my elevator pitch, my 30-second, you're meeting someone for the first time, oh, hey, I wrote a book about blah, 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 and here's how it could help you, or here's why you should read it. That, to yeah. me, is what should be Absolutely. on the back of the book. Well, you're well ahead on this. You, <laughs> well, you know a lot about it, I can tell. I've been, doing, I've been doing research, but, I mean, this has only been in the last year that it's taken two years since I started this as a workshop. And then, so yeah, a two-year process to get to where I'm at now. Um, but it's really been in the last probably three to four months that I've really ramped up trying to get this thing out. As um, I read this book by an author named Stephen Pressfield called The War of Art. And it's all about fighting resistance. And it's a powerful book. It's great for any artist of any kind. A lot of business people read this too. Um, and it's just really about finding the places in your life that you're resisting to and how resistance is like that wave that comes up and crashes on the shoreline. Well, before the wave can crash, the ocean draws back and there's that resisting force. But every time, resist, 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 and then the wave comes and crashes down. And then it happens again. You you resist and you resist, and then finally you let go and it crashes down. And um, well, you know, it's funny. It, that's I just kind of smile when you say that because self publishing initially, but oh, it seems like a big deal. And it, there's a great learning curve. But once I got and you know, Jamie's choice was well. First of all, I started out. I wrote two children's novels. And I hadn't a clue about anything about publishing. Got those out, and then I got to Jamie's Choice, and at this time, I wasn't with anybody else or a critique group or anything else at the time, and I was kind of on my own. But you know, you go, you ask people, you read, 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 and it's like, once you've done it, it's like when the water crashes or the wave crashes onto the shore, right. it's not as hard as you think. Right. And if other people can do it, I mean, then we can do it too. Yeah. So it becomes something that every time you do it, it gets better and better and better and you learn more and yep. it's not such a big thing. Yep. I guess that kind of so. comes into the uh, accountability, like how do you find time to write? And this gentleman, Pressfield, he was saying how he would get up every day at 9 a.m. and write. No matter if he had anything to write about or not, 9 a.m. till whatever time was a set time to do the writing. And that was just the time for him. Some people, it's whatever, 5 p.m. or whatever your time is, but let's make it the same every day and just write something. And he said some days, volumes of pure genius would just flow out of his fingertips and then some days it was a, a struggling task to just 
to hash out one paragraph. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is I I used to be in my former life. No, not really. Before <laughs> I retired from teaching, I used to go to workshops with children. They used to have these Saturday morning workshops once a year, and I remember sitting in one. And this guy had a full-time job. And I said to him, how do you find time to write? And he looked at me and he said, I don't find time to write. I make time to write. <laughs> and, yeah. and I thought, oh, we're never going to find the time. We have to make the time. Exactly. So, you know, if it's getting up in the morning for, for a person, but if, you know, we've got to all go out and, make money to live, but if it's getting up that hour early, if I knew people who would go away on their lunch hour, they wouldn't go with the group to have lunch or something. Right. They would go in some little corner of some uh, restaurant or wherever or coffee shop, and they'd work with their earphones on so they didn't have any interruptions. Right. And they were putting out manuscripts. Other people, it works for them to maybe press it all in on a Saturday. Maybe if for a married person with kids, they just might go away and say, okay, hubby, I'm leaving from 9 till 4 or whatever hours suit them. You take care of the kids, and I have to go away, and I have to write. Right. So you have to find your time. And I think, like you said, doing it at the same time. And you, you know, you build a habit. You build a habit. And it feels good to do that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I do. I get up really early. I get up at four every day because. Oh wow! It's just the best time. I mean, you, I do an hour of meditation from four to five, and then from five to six, I do an hour of yoga, and I mean, it's uninterrupted me time. And then from there, now it's 6 a.m. Now I can go over and work on whatever art project I have on my plate that week, whether it be uh, mm -hmm. drawing or writing or whatever I'm doing. I, I do a little, still do a little bit of graphic design for some friends. And uh, well, that's interesting. Are you on the island? I am. I'm on Vancouver Island. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, We've been out there several times for oh, vacations. Lovely oh, place. No way. Yeah, I, I love it here. Um, I moved here a year ago, and I came from Halifax, from Nova Scotia, the complete opposite end of the country. So it's been oh boy, it's been a huge change. I, and uh, no, go ahead. Sir, I I've been to Halifax too. My husband and I traveled there several years ago, oh. and those those provinces are beautiful. I love them. Oh. Especially in the fall, of course. Oh, of course. But I always think the weather is so hard. The winters in that part of the country are ter terribly hard on people. Yeah. Um, now, it, it, now you're the extreme, the other end. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This is more like the California end of of our country. And yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, there were times when we had 12 feet of snow where the oh. the city was shut down for two weeks so you just there's nothing yeah. you can do nobody can go anywhere none of the stores are plowed out none of the streets are plowed out you don't know what to do people are getting around on snowshoes um yeah it's very common i mean that that is not common getting 12 feet of snow but five to six feet of snow is very common uh and then oh, yes. spe especially yes. depending they, the atlantic 
um, provinces really get bombarded. It's it's tough, and I admire the people that um, stay there and you know can keep their work going there because it's not easy. You know, the bills keep coming no matter what. Like, just because uh, three weeks of this month we were buried under the, the snow, that doesn't mean that your rent doesn't get paid. It doesn't mean that your power bill doesn't get paid. You still have to somehow, yeah, find a way to make money. And I find that's why there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurial spirit uh, back on the East Coast. Um, and uh, definitely the weather it weathers away on some people and some people it, it only makes you stronger yes yes it's interesting yeah. so you're enjoying though the bc climate oh yes definitely <laughs> definitely yeah uh i had came out here before um just to kind of visit and check things out and when i came to victoria i was like okay this is it why have i not been here sooner what have I been doing with my life on the East Coast? And so I did everything in my power to be able to move back out here. And uh, now this is it. And I mean, that came after living in Los Angeles for a year. So really, you know, really getting into the whole like LA vibe, doing yoga, meditating, walking down along Venice Beach and all that, all that hoopla. And then going from that yeah. back to Canada, and it was like, whoa, okay, I, you know, there's got to be somewhere within my own country that is a little better than what we have to experience. And so, yeah, I definitely yeah. found that here in, in British Columbia. That's, that's good. That's interesting. Yeah. But um, right now, we're getting far as far as where we are from BC. Oh, yeah, the uh, the smoke has reached the island for the last three days, and it does. It? It's everywhere. When you look, it looks like a layer of fog as you look across the city, and yes, it, it affects. We were not we were not seeing like um, you know the sky as we should be have been seeing it. No, it was kind of all a grayish mass. Yeah, exactly. So. yeah, it's that time of year. the The forest fires come out to play. And it's a huge industry too. They have camps of people set up who are going out to fight the forest fires. So they'll have camps oh set up and they have support systems for the firefighter at, at these camps. So they'll have like uh, maids, cleaning, kitchen staff, transportation vehicles. It's like a big industry fighting the forest fires. It gives a lot of people something to do for the summer. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, it's, it's a big job for them. And most... Yeah, most of the when fires. When I was at um, a workshop one time, I know a woman said, you know, the fire, this was in the state, had come right almost to their back door. And she said she ended up, because of the smoke, she ended up doing something like 90 loads of washing oh. just to get the smell out of the clothing and everything and the drapes. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, you, you don't think about that either, because I had a small fire in my home back in the late 90s, in like 98, 99, I had a fire. And you don't, you think that, oh, if something catches on fire, you'll just put it out, maybe clean that room, but there's smoke damage, and smoke damage comes from carpets burning, and different plastics melting and it puts this thick soot through your whole house and you have to have a special company come in and clean all that out because it's so toxic. You can't just live in it. You can't just 
get some Javex and clean the wall off yourself. It takes special uh, machinery to really get that out. Um, if you ever want to look into selling your house again someday in the future, because yeah, that's, that's I, I, an interesting point. Every yeah. every fire call is recorded and reported that there was a fire at that house, and so that's going to be documented somewhere when you when it comes. Well, time that's to interesting. Never really thought about that. Yeah, but this this whole book writing thing is interesting, though, isn't it? Oh yes, I definitely love it. I hope that I can make a go of it and that it goes somewhere because. You know, being an author would just be one of the greatest things. Um, right now, teaching yoga, and I also run a small cleaning company, just getting to my age, a little bit of arthritis. It's not something I want to do all day, every day, the rest of my life. And I'm definitely looking for some for a desk job, basically. Uh, but also, uh, having all these experiences that I've had in my life, I've done so many things, and I've been so many places, and I've just gone through so much that I want to give that back and be able to share it with people. And that's kind of where these podcasts come into play is being able to share that with everybody and share these awesome conversations with people like yourself. But I guess through books too, would have an even wider reach than even a podcast. But they say, I don't know. Oh, yes. They say podcasts. And you know what's wonderful about books is that they go on and on and the book can be there five, ten years later. I know what started me into writing. I was not one of these people who, as a child, oh, I want to be a writer. It struck me one time my husband and I were driving across Montana, and I was reading. And I said to him, I looked up, I remember the sky was big, bright, blue sky. And I said, and this is as an adult, so not even a, in my 20s. As an adult, I said, I'd love to write characters that people wanted to read and love this character, love my characters as much as I love this character that I'm reading about right now. Oh. And so really that's what started me on writing. And um, in the, you know, my Bringing Jamie Home trilogy, hopefully that's mm -hmm. what the people will feel and there will be this connection. Okay. And so that's what I'm trying to appeal to in my reader and hopefully they feel that way. And the same with you. You're trying to make that connection so people are stronger and have a more satisfying life because of the information you're giving them. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we're here yeah. for. Well, Cheryl, right. It's, right. it's been a whole hour now that we've been sitting here. So I think we're just going to try and cap it off there. And maybe we could have another chat someday in the future after I get some more publishing done. It would be great to uh, chat with you again. Well, thank you very much, Jay. I've enjoyed this hour of talking. And uh, best wishes to you, and I hope to hear from you sometime in the future. Oh, thank you very much. Have a great day. You have day. a good weekend. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, that was great. Thank you so much, Cheryl Riley. That was a lot of information for anyone out there who's considering writing a book or getting what you have written published. If anyone wants to check out Cheryl's work, you can search for her on Amazon. And the spelling of her name is S-H-E-R-I-L-E. And Riley is R-E-I-L-L-Y. And that's it for another week, folks. I'm super excited for all the new listeners out there and the supporters. Thank you so much. Peace, love, and light. Namaste. And all that other good noise, noise, noise. Ding!